Views expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station, its management, or advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Welcome to Empowerment Radio. My name is Dr. Friedman, and I'm so glad that you decided to join me. Empowerment Radio is about giving you the insights, tools, and solutions to address some of the most challenging aspects of our daily lives. So sit back, relax, and empower yourself. Welcome to Empowerment Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Friedman. Do you struggle with your emotions? Do you feel like you have maybe a mental health issue, but you haven't really found a way to ask for help? Now, one of the greatest problems with emotions is that we are kind of avoiding them, unless they are feeling good. Most of us are feeling comfortable with being happy or confident or at least okay and at peace, but we are not wanting to go into feeling sad, anxious, angry, or insecure. All of those emotions make us feel like there's something wrong with us. We are weak. We are somehow not like everybody else. And so we are pushing those emotions aside and we don't want to pay attention to them. And to the people around us, we are saying, no, we are good. All is fine. Now, what can happen is that you do have a real challenge that is building up unknown to others around you. Inside of you, that problem gets bigger and bigger. Your struggle with yourself and your feelings gets somehow more and more all-consuming. And in the end, you find yourself maybe at a break point, breakdown point, at a point where you just feel like, I can't do this anymore. There is a stigma to mental challenges. There is a stigma to anything that is about mental health. We just don't want to go there because it just feels almost like, you know, inappropriate to have these kind of challenges. And this is why I'm so excited to have my guest today, a very special guest who just came out with a brand new book, which I believe can help you and maybe others that you know that are struggling with mental health issues and just feeling like, you know, they don't have the courage or they don't have that sense it's okay to ask for help or admit that they are struggling, to give them that impetus, that catalytic push to say, no, if he can do it, I can do it. And I'm talking about Maurice Benard, who is best known as Sunny Corintas of General Hospital who has been playing that role for 25 years. He has been winning the Emmys for this twice already. And now he came out with this fabulous book about his own life and his own struggles with his emotions and with a bipolar disorder. The book is called Nothing General About It, How Love and Lithium Saved Me On and Off General Hospital. Well, I'm so happy, Maurice, that you're here on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, thank you. It's an honor, and I'm, I'm very excited. And uh, we've known each other a little while. I love it. 
Yeah. Well, I, you know, I really was flattered and uh, a little blushed when I saw that you were mentioning my name in the book. And I really appreciate it because we have been working together for a little bit, up, uh, you know, off and on. So uh, thank you for, for, yeah, acknowledging that and appreciating this and, and your book, which uh, is really something that I find, uh, you know, it has so many different layers to it so that I can highly recommend it to anyone. It's a book that uh, is giving us an insight in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, into your life. But it's also a book that I feel like is so written with such a wonderful voice, such an authenticity. I feel like I'm sitting next to you and the fireplace and, uh, and listen to your story. So uh, if you ever want to really feel that you understand how someone who has going through life in valleys and peaks with emotional challenges that can be really make you feel like this is hell and this is heaven, then you need to read this book because I think you have expressed things that a lot of people are feeling in such beautiful and honest and true ways that thousands of people probably feel understood and understand themselves better because of it. So thank you for writing that. Oh, thank you for the kind words. I mean, I, that's exactly why I wrote the book. Uh, and I had my partner who, who, who is a friend of mine who, you know, wrote it with me and she's a friend and she, and she, and she's a film writer. So the way she writes is just a little different. And I think that's what made it, she she added she's the one who wanted to make the title songs like one the third chapter which is my favorite is highway to hell <laughs> love it and and it is highway to hell <laughs> and then the, the she she picked the title which is amazing nothing general about it i know um, it's a fantastic but, you know, the goal, title yeah it's a cool title the goal was there, you know, obviously there's two goals. The main goal was to help people. I've been talking about mental health for over 30 years. Um, you know, and it's been a, it's been a journey. And I think people have followed me on that journey with mental health, but I don't think, uh, like when I did Oprah, it didn't, nothing really went, nothing really happened after that with mental, with mental health. Uh, and she's incredible and you know how many people watch and everything, but it kind of just for a bit was talked about and then died down. I think now people are, are starting to really, I think enough people have died mm -hmm. that people are starting to, to listen. Yeah, I mean, you think somebody, immediately somebody, of uh, Robin Williams, who just uh, has been dealing with uh, depression and uh, obviously wasn't really getting the help or wasn't asking for the help. And uh, that's a very sad story that I think woke up a lot of people. Yeah, and there's another guy who just uh, died. Uh, what's his name? Byron. Byron Epstein or something like that. And he, he had depression and he... And he was a big time gamer, mm. one of the top. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think the, the timing of the book is great. Um, I think that's why it hit the New York Times. 
Congratulations. Because I think they, oh, you're welcome. I think it just, it was just the right time. Because I thought it was the wrong time. <laughs> no, it was, it was a perfect time. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely the yeah. perfect time. But what do you, I mean, you say like you have been talking about it for 30 years, but wasn't like, you know, really you coming out and saying, you know, I have this bipolar disorder and these issues. Wasn't that more like 2004 around Oprah or did you talk about this before already? Um, I might have talked about it before a little bit, but that was on a high level, high, yeah. you know, national level with Oprah. Um, and I've been talking about, you know, I've been shouting it for everywhere. I mean, anytime I go on a show, TV show or anything like that, that's what people ask me about. I mean, anything that I, you know, I mean, they don't, it's funny. Uh, when I was doing publicity for the book, No one even talks about General Hospital. I mean, it's just, and there's a, there's, there's a lot of General Hospital in the book. Right. But no one, all they talk about is mental health, mental health, which is great, which is what I wanted. Uh, so I just continue. And I do something every Sunday called State of Mind, which is, uh, and I've been doing that for over a year, which is all I do is talk about And I do everything. I produce it. I control it. I cut it. I put the music in. But it, all I do is talk about mental illness. And that's where? Every where Sunday. can people follow that? Uh, Maurice Bernard's State of Mind. Into Instagram story. Oh, perfect. And it's just, it's just my feet talking into the camera, like I'm talking to the audience. And you should... I, I, I'll tell you a little story that somebody wrote. I get a lot of these, but this one's beautiful. Well, it's not, you, you'll see. Somebody wrote me and said, your book, and this is what I'm going to say to you is exactly what keeps me going doing this. She wrote, I read your book. It's helped me deal with my husband. Hmm. He is bipolar. And he tried to commit suicide a while ago. And what we do, what we used to do is, uh, we used to listen to your audiobook, And after every chapter, we would talk about how we feel about it. And it's made me really, really understand him. Unfortunately, he committed suicide two days ago. Mm. And I just, I wow. did, I was like, because I didn't know where the where the where it was going. Yeah, like I thought it was going to be like, um, and th that is exactly why I just have to keep keep doing this. But see, Maurice, what I find so amazing about you and the book and your mission is that it takes a lot of courage to show this kind of vulnerability and, you know, just talking about General Hospital for a moment, well, Sonny is not necessarily the most vulnerable guy on first glance. And, you know, you have been playing that role for 25 years. 
So I'm sure it was a little bit uncomfortable at some point to come out and say, by the way, I'm not all cool and tough. I actually have some deep struggles and demons inside of me that can bring me to my knees. Or how did that feel to you? Were you never really thinking about this as a challenge? Hold that answer. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Yeah, yippee skippy to that, baby. We're not done yet. Some of us are out here to educate and inspire. This year, 2020, is the year we got to show me the money in the cash flow. I'm Dr. Pat. This is the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. Visit thedrpatshow.com. Is your mind running the show with thoughts bouncing around your cranium like a jet-propelled ping-pong ball? You can't focus or relax. Quieting your mind is key to having a sense of inner peace and to being able to access your inner wisdom. So how can you quiet that racing mind? Just breathe. Sit with eyes closed and breathe in slowly, filling your lungs to capacity. Then gently and fully exhale. Repeat 10 or more times. I assure you at the end of this exercise, your mind will have slowed and your body relaxed. You'll be better able to access your inner wisdom, guiding your personal evolution to becoming your highest and best self. I'm Carrie Kadombi, and I'd love for you to join me on Transformation Talk Radio for my show, A Spirited Exchange. For more information about me, visit my website, thedivineguidancegift.com. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. I'm here with Maurice Benard, and we are talking about his book, Nothing General About It. Uh, and before the break, I just asked him whether it was challenging for him to talk about his mental health issues, his bipolar disorder, when he had been playing a role of a gangster uh, a mob leader in uh, Sunny Corintos in General Hospital. And, you know, when you play something for 25 years, uh, Maurice, I'm pretty sure it has also an impact on you. It's kind of imprinting on you. So how was that coming out and saying, by the way, I do struggle? Was that hard? Uh, it's, it's, it's not been all that hard because I'm, I'm such an open all the time. And I'm always talking about my everything that's happened to me, but there it is difficult when you're playing certain. It's, there are sometimes where things get too deep as the character, like my father on the show has Alzheimer's, and there are sometimes that I do it and I just it's too much, and I say to myself, I don't want to do this anymore. But that it reminds you too much character. of your own father. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of my own father. It's it's just it hits these these places inside me that I don't want to be hit. Mm-hmm. And um, but it's my job, so I gotta you know get up tomorrow. Uh, I think the only time that I would say it's scary that I've been really scared is when I haven't you know I'm having an anxiety. And I have to go in and act. That's scary. 
So because that kind yeah. of, I'm out of control there. But I do it. Right. Because you got to overpower it and you do it. Yeah. And I've, I've gone in there, like after my, when I first started, I, you know, in my book, I quit after three weeks and I had a nervous breakdown. And I had to go back a week and a half later to work. And I had nothing. I had nothing. I was scared. I was, but you know what? I did it. And that's what, that's something I do have in me. No matter how hard something is, I can still perform. And isn't that something that, that, you know, I, I feel like you had many situations probably where you were brought to your knees and somehow you got up and you did it anyhow. I mean, you had in your acting career situations where you felt like I cannot play that role. Like I think the gaudy role was challenging or people didn't believe in you and oh, yeah. you did it anyhow. So how did you find that strength? I mean, you know, it's like because you have been seeing yourself often as someone also who I'm struggling with, you know, my, my ups and downs with the bipolar, I'm struggling with anxiety, but somehow you don't identify yourself totally with that because you are not letting yourself be stopped or paralyzed by these challenges. So there is something really strong inside of you. How do you tap into that strength? Uh, some of it's God, obviously. You know, you, you just, and, and you just do a lot of praying. But the John Gotti role, that was the most difficult thing I've ever done. And acting, because, you know, the producer hated my guts. <laughs> Do you know why? Because she didn't want me for the role. So she treated me horribly. <laughs> and, but, you know, oddly enough, it was really difficult, but I didn't have anxiety. It's, it's almost, because that, I should have had anxiety during that period. But didn't have anxiety, but I was scared, nervous, like I couldn't do it. And I just kept fighting and fighting and fighting and figuring out, figure, adapting in ways that I could do it. Like figuring out how to, what, like I started treating her like I was John Gotti. <laughs> so every time I'd see her, I'd be like, you need me for something. <laughs> what do you need me for? <laughs> uh, did that scare her? <laughs> that was three weeks ago. I told Paula, my wife, twice, get me on a plane. Let's get out of here. Can't do it. And Paula would say what she always says. Paula's my wife. She'd always say, you are stronger than you know. Yeah. And that kind of gets me through it. Now, the big question is, when do you know? that you're stronger than you know. You know, it's like I think a lot of people feel that, that there is this cheerleader in their corner that always tells them, you can do it. And, you know, why is it so hard for us to then say, okay, you have been telling me this a thousand times, I know it myself. So do you think there is something inside of you that you know better maybe than ever before that you can do it?
I think you went out on that. Oh, sorry. I'm going to just switch. Hold on one second. I'm just going to repeat the question. Uh, so, okay. you know, we all have these kind of cheerleaders in our corners that are saying, yes, you can do it. I believe in you. I mean, when we're lucky, we have those cheerleaders uh, because sometimes we don't really have that inside ourselves, that voice. But I'm wondering, like, you know, you and Paula, and I definitely want to talk more about the role that she had been playing in your life. But she has been saying this a thousand times to you before. Yes, you can do it. I believe in you. You're stronger than you think you are. At what point do you think you're going to believe it yourself? Good question. Um, yeah, I, that's a very good question. I think, uh, I think at this point with me, I should be at that place where well, I'm going to have to tackle that again when I go back to work here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and maybe I shouldn't ask her if maybe I should stop saying that I can't do something. That's what she wants me to do. She wants me to just stop asking why and, and stop saying can't mm. and just do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's the key. Now, she is that's in the, the title key. of the book, basically. I assume when you talk about love, is it mainly the, the love that you have for her and that she has for you? Yeah, you know, the beauty, one of the good chapters in the book that I love is uh, when she would never let me pick her up from home. Hmm. And... I was wondering, what do you mean? Let me go pick you. No, no, no. Pick me up after work. Pick me up at the at the corner. <laughs> this went on for three, four months. When you were dating first. Finally, I said, yeah, we were just dating. Finally, I said, I'm going there. I knew her address. And I had a real long coat. I was modeling at the time. I, you know, I thought it was cool. And I knock on the door and this woman, this lady answers. And it was like, I didn't know who this lady was. And I walked in and there was like 12 people in this little house. They're all smoking, doing drugs. And Paula runs out of the, of the kitchen and, into her room and then we we leave and we get to the car and I said, well, who, what's going on over there? She goes, that's my family. They're, they're, they're drug addicts. Mm. That's why I didn't want you to come pick me up at the house. Wow. So I said to her, I said, Paula, I said, I don't care if you're rich, poor, that, that doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is how I feel about you. I mean, you should be running for me. I just got out of a mental institution and I'm bipolar. And then she looked at me and she said, I don't care. And that's how it all began. Wow. So you didn't judge her, yeah. she didn't judge you. No, no, no. 
But what do you think is a secret that kept you together since now how many years? 30 something? Over 30 years. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's just deep love mm -hmm. that there's no way I could without her and she feels the same way with me and we've always had that and we're good together as companions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think that's been we we communicate well we don't really fight a lot um yeah all those things but do you have a feeling also that there was a lot that she had just to forgive you And uh, at some point, just to never give up hope that, especially at the early times when you were struggling and when there were these setbacks for you. And, and I think there were times when you, like you said in the book, even scared her and somehow she never stopped believing in you. Do you think that's also, you know, just I'm thinking about all the other couples out there, like the person that was writing you after the Instagram that uh, you know understanding the spouse better understanding that there is maybe a solution or hope understanding their struggles and not taking it so personally and seeing that there is another side do you think these are all things that paula has been going through and uh, probably would agree with that that is something that yeah yeah the, you know i think as far as when i scared her and She always uh, says, and I guess it makes sense, it, it really wasn't him. He was, you, I could see in his face, he was a different, in his eyes, like when he was going through a, a, a breakdown, it wasn't him. So that's what kept her. I don't think, Paula's too strong to stay with a man, to treat her like that, who's not mentally ill. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't think people do that. But yeah. being mentally ill, she knew that I just needed help, and that's mm -hmm. the beauty of it. That's yeah. the beauty of it. Yeah. But I mean, I think also for her, it uh, is something that she probably has been able to see. You know, that part of you that is the illness, but also the part of you that is the person that she loves, who is, um, you know, strong and, uh, and caring and uh, compassionate and also completely accepting of her. So that is uh, probably a secret that you both have been, uh, you know, sharing with each other, just to really focus on what's good and what's lovable and, and have compassion maybe for the other side that you were struggling with. Because, you know, in, in your book, you write that, Sometimes it was like going through hell, this highway through hell. And, and I just wonder what was one of the, the most difficult times for you? You know, what is it where you really felt like, you know, I don't know if I can make it. Was that when you were uh, in the hospital or what, what was a time for you that you really feel like, yeah, I, my mental state brought me to my knees? Oh, well, that was in the hospital for, for damn sure. The only thing that kept me alive, I think, in the hospital that I was so drug up that I didn't, I couldn't really, I didn't, it was kind of not functioning because of the drugs. 
But when I went home and got into major depression for like seven, eight months, that was, that was about, I think I was on my knees and I was praying to God. Actually, I was swearing to God, wondering why he would do this to me. I'm not, why do, why do I deserve this? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was a, I don't know how I did it because at least now I have Paula and my kids, right? Mm-hmm. Then I had my mom and dad and they were incredible, but they would go to work from seven o'clock in the morning till they come home at four thirty. So I was alone. <sighs> Alone with your know. thoughts, That's alone a lot. with your feelings, or oh yes, I mean I, I didn't have nobody, mm-hmm. no, just me in a big house, just walking around with my, my negative thoughts, and mm-hmm. I weighed one hundred and twenty nine pounds. It was it was tough. That was probably the toughest. Yeah, but I've had other times that were tough also, but not like that. Now, did after the hospital, your life change? I mean, was that the time when you got into acting afterwards? Well, I just started getting into acting before they put me into the hospital. Mm-hmm. And then you have to understand, they put me into a county hospital in the beginning. And I was in a room with a guy on my left who looked like he got hit by a semi-truck with a guy in front of me who's uh, eating his toenails to another guy on the left. And and I was strapped down from my wrists, my waist to my uh, ankles. And that was, and then they took me out of there real quick because that wasn't a good thing. And then they put me into the mental institution where I could walk around but everybody else was worse than I was. I was like Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I was just thinking about <laughs> <That's>, him, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, that was me. Because, but I don't remember, was he mentally ill at all, Jack Nicholson? I don't think so. I think they put him in because of some other issues he had. But I don't think that he was mentally ill. But it's a long time ago I watched it. That's- yeah, okay, well, I, we're not quite the same because I was mentally ill. But I was n- normal compared to everybody else. Hmm. So I would, <laughs> they put me in there and it was just, uh, it was, I was going to say right now, I should write a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you did. Um, uh, yeah, but yeah. there was some funny stuff that went in there, stuff like that, but uh, um you know, all this stuff is very, what it does is it makes me feel, and I hope it makes other people feel, that no matter how impossible you think something is, it's possible. Hmm. Yeah. Because of what, what I've been through in these times, you, you do think you can't do it, but the thing is, you can. 
You really can't because your mind is very powerful. So, wow. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's really the empowering part also of your journey that you, especially at the end of the book, talk about uh, how you have now your routines and how you meditate and how you are visualizing and how certain aspects of your life that you didn't really or of your daily life that you didn't really know about 30 years ago help you to have more of a you know a stable foundation even though you still go certainly through ups and downs and i certainly want to ask you more about that but just going quickly back to because there was one episode your second breakthrough a uh, break uh, down i was pretty uh, fascinated by which is the one where you kind of had like uh, an uh, an awareness of god and uh, you felt like there was uh, a sense of good and evil fighting and tell us about that well i i truly believe that every time you you go through a breakdown it's god and the devil fighting each other hmm. and god usually wins but there are times, obviously, where the devil wins and you're in trouble. Um, that particular, that, that you know, it, it, people may, may go, yeah, right. But, you know, I, I, I really saw a light in my room one night. And it scared me, but I, I believed it was God. And <clears throat> that took me to, you know, <clears throat> every, that whole breakdown was about religion and God. And then one one story that I love to tell is I had to go to a church. And when I have to go to a church in this feeling, you got to go. It's, it's, if you don't go, oh, no, something's going to happen. So hmm. I went with my mom and Paula to a church, and, and it was closed. Locked. Damn. I'm like, I got to get to a church. And then as we're walking away, Monsignor, this older Monsignor came up and says, can I help you? I said, Monsignor, listen, I, I need to go inside and pray. He goes, the church is locked. I said, I know, but I'm kind of going through something right now. And they always look at you like, is he on drugs or is he drunk? Or... And he goes, uh, do you take walks? I said, no. He goes, all right, let's bring you in. He unlocked the doors. I, my mom and I sat in the third pew. He said, listen, just don't go up to the altar because the alarm's on. I said, all right. So I'm with my mom and we're, we're praying and crying. And, and then I get up and I walk and I walk to the altar. And the alarm doesn't go off. Then huh. my mom walks up. The alarm didn't go off. Now, whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, you think it's a coincidence or you think it's something spiritual. In my head, for sure, it was God. Mm. So we walked we walk down and we asked the Monsignor, why didn't the alarm go off? And he goes, oh, they probably forgot to put it on. So there you go. That's all. That's wow. it. Especially in my state of mind, that all becomes something, right? Well, a lot of people say that through their 
challenges with their emotions uh, that or their minds they became actually more spiritual and some say even more psychic that they become more aware of energies more aware of the presence of god or spirits and uh, and sounds like you have been also becoming maybe more uh, strong in your faith because of it yeah um not as strong as I'd like to be, but I do believe in God, always have. And, you know, because people say to me, well, what, what do you mean? Why, why, you know, people that aren't, don't believe in God that, and I say, well, this, how, this life is too difficult. Can't do it alone. Sometimes you need, you need help. <laughs> and that's how I, you know, gotten help in yeah. my own way so you know it's important plus with these with these thought with the anxiety and depression and bipolar a lot of that goes on in the head there well i always uh, feel like when we have anxiety especially it's uh, a really good antidote to focus on to have trust uh, not the absence of anxiety is that counts, but really to have trust, trust in yourself that you can handle whatever life brings you. But then if you have that faith, and it's certainly useful and beneficial, also trust in God, trust in a higher power. And uh, when we can really lean into this, then that anxiety and that feeling of powerlessness or out of control just simply dissipates much faster. We have uh, a little break. We'll be right back and more with Maurice. TransformationTalkRadio.com Hello, friends. I am Terry J. Walker with the I Am Power Hour, and here is your soul-stretching success tip of the day. Taking 100% responsibility for your life. You know, a belief is a thought you just keep thinking. So the questions become, what is your mindset? As you assess your strengths and weaknesses, you need to believe and empower yourself. When you change your mindset to, I am, I can, and I will, your courage, your purpose, and your power, and your greatness begin to evolve. Make the commitment today, obtain the discipline, and be willing to do whatever it takes to learn, to grow, and develop yourself in order to win at life. You are worthy, you are talented, and you have the ability to create your life of abundance. For you are your greatest assets. I'll see you next time. Message delivery by Lisa Ann. You can't make this stuff up. Tune in every first and third Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Message Delivery is an inspirational show about the journey to enlightenment and spirituality. For more information or your own personal message delivery, visit angelmessages2u.com. That's angelmessages, the number two, the letter U, dot com. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. I'm here with uh, Maurice Benard, and we're talking about his book, which is about his life, which is about his also struggles with bipolar disorder, anxiety, and so on. Now, Maurice, one of the things that I'm really curious about is whether you see an upside of your 
mental health challenges. Now, is there anything that you would say, well, if I wouldn't have those, I may be a different person. Maybe I would not be so good in my acting career because I really know the depths of the psyche. I know the depths of the emotions. Or maybe I would be not as uh, compassionate or empathetic because I would be much more cocky and uh, maybe more angry. Or what would you say? What, uh, is there any upside that you could have seen or could see from your challenges? Well, well I always tell people, um, that they should be proud of what they have because mm. it truly does make you who you are because I because of what I've been through and overcome without that I, would, I don't think I'd have the strength to deal with show business show business is tough rejection, getting treated bad, this and this and that. But when, you, when you've gone through a breakdown or anxiety or depression, people, think it, people keep thinking it's a weak thing. It's not weak. Can you imagine? You've, you've just overpowered Mike Tyson. That's the way I like to look at it. <laughs> yeah. So the Mike Tyson. <laughs> you just fought Mike Tyson. Anxiety. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> you know, you just fought for 12 rounds. And maybe you didn't win, but you did it for 12 rounds, but you won enough to feel good now. Hmm. And um, I keep stressing that. So for me, it's always, it's, I know when I'm in it, I have all those bad thoughts. I'm weak. I'm never going to get out. This is not good. This is bad. But when I'm through with it, I can sit there and raise my hand up and go, yeah, I, I, I went through all this. I mean, I mean, just going through what I did in the hot, in the, in the, you know, being tied down to a bed, a lot of people may not be able to go through that. And so I say, be proud of being bipolar, of anxiety, of any of this stuff, because uh, you may not have the strength if you didn't go through it. That's, that's my theory. But. Yeah. Well, I feel also that it puts a lot of things in perspective because you know that there is way more than maybe a, a, you know, a nasty critic. There is way more worse things than you know, maybe having not such a good day on the set or something like this because you have seen that you know, there is pain, there is suffering, there is struggle. And uh, it can just, uh, you know, put a little bit the small stuff aside. I don't know if you, if you see it that way, but I feel when people are no, really know. struggling, that also makes them more appreciative of the good things and not sweat the small stuff so much. Yeah, and, and also the, the, with this quarantine, I told my producer this, I think this quarantine positively has made all these actors appreciate their job more because mm. this being stuck in here is, is, is not good. I mean, a lot of times I always say I want to retire. I'm, I'm not rethinking. <laughs> <retirement>. <laughs> I don't know if I could do this. 
I mean, it maybe be different though with everything open and everything. I mean, it's just the quarantine. Right. I mean, everything's shut down. You can't do anything. You can't go eat out there. You can't. Whoo! Sure does make you feel you want to go to work. <laughs> well, sometimes contrast is just a wonderful teacher, right? It's like when you feel sick. You appreciate being healthy again. When you feel locked in, you're so much more excited about freedom. When you cannot work, you're looking forward to work. I know we are kind of, uh, you know, born to learn through contrast. But, you know, one of the things that I find interesting in your book is that as a child, you were, you know, also kind of two people because, you know, talking about contrast, because you were kind of a wild child who didn't really shy away from a fight but then you also were very empathetic i mean you were like feeling you know also very empathetic for the handicapped kids and uh, so that is certainly also something that you could say well maybe i'm going through this too not in a bipolar way but that there is a tough side of me but then there is also a, you know a very empathetic vulnerable sensitive side of me do you ever uh, find that in yourself still Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I, I can, I can, I can, uh, as tough as, you know, a lot of people are kind of afraid of me or something because the way I look, my energy, whatever they're, they're, you know, but, but I can be tough cause I, you know, I'm a fighter, but that other side of me, when I see a, some, a kid who's, hurting in a wheelchair or something like that and it breaks me man hmm. it breaks me and it always has ever since i was a little boy if there was somebody in class that was you know mentally charged and he was sitting there and he, i would and then my wife would say to me honey you shouldn't feel that way because they don't they don't really know They're not hurting. They're in their mind. They're happy. They're. Yeah. I said I don't know what it is. It's, it's something I've always had in me, and that and, and in my book that was a trip when I when all those you know all these they started coming to the car and and I was like there was a school of kids in need. Mm -hmm. I was going through a breakdown and it was like woo! I was scared. I don't know why I was scared, but. And then when they came to me, it was beautiful, man. I, I, I don't know what I said to them, I forget, but it was beautiful. So these kids came to you? I don't know that part. I, I couldn't read all the Oh, um, no, yeah, I was, yeah, there was like a, a bunch of kids in special needs class. Mm -hmm. And I was driving through this thing, and then they're in front of me, and they all started coming to me. And it was so overwhelming in my heart. Hmm. that I was like almost not scared but overwhelmed and I said to the teacher because I think I was going to be on a tv show then I, I really wasn't I don't know if I was but it was way back was it no I wasn't with the with all my children no uh but I was going to be on some show in San Francisco and then the, she came up with all the kids and and they started shaking my hand and it was just wow <laughs> it, was, it, it was like it was like I was Jesus or something. 
uh, I don't know. And and because and, I think she said, "Oh, I don't know if they'll want to come up." And and then I said, "Hi, guys!" And and they all started coming up. It was it was a trip. yeah. But anyway, I've had that sensitive side with me my whole time. Like I'll be sitting out watching, you know, kids play or animals, and I'll start crying. Uh, so it's 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 two sides to the coin. It's a beautiful side, certainly, and I'm sure that the sensitive side lets you also play you know, this more sensitive aspects in your roles. I mean, there's definitely yeah. a, you, know, you were in the actor studio and I think a lot in the actor studio is about uh, going back to your personal experiences, tapping into those experiences and then bringing them out in your acting. And, and I'm sure that sensitive side and this empathy uh, really served you well in that regard as well. Yeah. I mean, when I first started General Hospital, I played, you know, Sonny, and I was bad. I'm talking bad. I mean, I I gave drugs to a 16-year-old. I, I just owned a nightclub. I was just killing people. And I knew that I had, if I was going to, because I didn't know, I thought it was, it's a six-month bro. That's what it was. Uh -huh. Now it's 27 years. <laughs> But I thought that, But I liked it. I liked it because I didn't know if I was going to like it. But I liked it. So I said, what do I now? What do I do now? So I said, I got to change, change it up. So I started showing a little more vulnerability and started like when I would give her drugs, I, I, in my mind, I played that I was giving her lithium mm. to help her. So I changed that way of doing it. Wow. And... The audience started turning, and I, I, I accomplished what I wanted, and 27 years later, here we are. No, I Because mean, they I, saw this bad day. You know, I have to admit, I had my time with General Hospital. Uh, this was about 20 years ago. And so I think this was probably a time where you already had established this more empathetic side. and. Uh, Yeah, there was at least six months where I was completely hooked and it was really sunny and, you know, his different ways of being and these little glimmers of his, uh, you know, more sensitive side that makes you fascinated about the show, that makes you kind of at the edge of the seat, not really knowing, you know, who's going to show up. And uh, yeah, I think you yeah. really nailed it in there. I changed it because if I didn't change it, they wouldn't have. I wouldn't be there. Well, at some point, it gets it was so bad. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's so, he was, I was so bad. Now the other star of the show was Tony Gary. And I just told somebody this and he was, the, he's big, the biggest ever. And he raped his girl. And then they became the biggest couple ever. It's weird. But then back then you, you could do that. Now uh, that done. would not fly anymore. <laughs> no, definitely <laughs> not a good idea. Now, uh, Maurice, uh, one of the things in the book that you mentioned, and I just want to, and I hope it's okay to, to talk about this, but one of the things that still fascinates me is that you have so much love and we talk about empathy. And I think you also, you know, have uh, a lot of compassion uh, for yourself more now 
than probably 30 years ago, but you have a hard time saying to people that you love them. Why do you think that is? Because um, that's the way I was brought up. Hmm. I couldn't break that chain. And I don't, I'm not happy. I don't feel good that I didn't break that chain, but I couldn't break that chain. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's what it is, is that you create a monster. So you don't say it, then you don't say it, then you don't say it, then you, and then, and then you can't say it. It's just, now, you know, now people would say, I mean, you would say, you can do it now. And I, I know, but it's so hard. <laughs> and I know for, for people, it seems kind of like, what do you mean it's hard? But I know just from my mom, my, well, my mom is saying it now. And I got to be honest, I kind of resent it a little bit like, now nah, you're saying it. Mm. Yeah. You know, you didn't really, we didn't really do that. And my dad doesn't say it. But you hear it yourself from so, others quite a bit, right? I mean, people besides your mom tell you that. Yeah. They love you. yeah. I'm sure your yeah. fans send you posts and uh, letters. I yeah. love you. I mean, you get showered with love left and right. There is no yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And even my producer just now, he's like, oh, I love you, Maurice. And I said, love you too. Easy. Oh, here we go. You said it. <laughs> love you too. Yeah. Oh, I'll say, I'll say it to, to friends. Uh-huh. And, but not, you know, my own family, I can't say it. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not something I'm proud of at all. And especially with my girls, I'm not, they know I love them and all that, but they don't, I don't show affection that way. And it's, mm -hmm. it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's uh, fascinating to see how you also have these imprints of the past that even after all those years and, you know, after all the work that you did, you know, they're still keeping you a little bit tied down. And, uh, and I think a lot of the listeners can relate to that, how we really, or even though we have a desire to be different, we are still doing the same thing that was done to us as if we don't really have yet the permission to do that. Now, in my case, I was German. And so people uh, in Germany don't necessarily, or at least at the time when I was little, say, I love you outside of a romantic relationship. So you don't say, I love you to your child because love you, ich liebe dich is more like about, you know, husband and wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, and so on. So I wasn't used to say this either to my parents or anybody really because I didn't grow up with that. But now that my primary language is, uh, is English, I have a much easier time to say it. So maybe you want to try to say those things in French or Spanish or Italian or something like this. Maybe it's going to be easier for you to express it because it's just not the same association anymore. Well, unfortunately, Maurice, one. we are out of time. So I really, really appreciate that you took the time to, to share about your book, about your life. And is there any message, any final word that you want to share with all those people that 
really read your book and see themselves in uh, in what you were writing? Uh, if you have any kind of mental illness, just uh, get professional help. Call, call Dr. Schaub like I did. And, um, you know, keep moving forward, stay out of your negative thoughts and know that it's not impossible. The impossible in your, in your thoughts is not impossible in reality. Very good. Thank you so much. I think that's really, really important to hear. And it's so much more impactful to hear it from you. So that was it for Empowerment Radio. It, uh, thank you so much for tuning in, for always being willing to grow. We will be back on Thursday. So take good care and be well. Take good care of yourself. Bye. You've been listening to Empowerment Radio with Dr. Friedman Schaub. Join Dr. Friedman every first and third Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern as he addresses some of the most prevailing challenges of our daily lives. To learn more about how Dr. Friedman's personal breakthrough program can help you overcome fear, anxiety, and low self-esteem, visit thefearandanxietysolution.com.